Make sure you get out and vote November 28th. Wait, what? When? November 28th? Okay. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Never is. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Nah. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso and Cottage Grove. 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, 88.5 FM KAKU in Maui. WGRN 94.1 FM in Columbus, Ohio, and 102.9 FM WLPP in Palinville, New York, not to mention AM 950 KTNF up in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And yep, we are streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, whether you like it or not. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast, and uh, I am your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com just trying to keep our heads above water uh, in the uh, final stretch here how many we oh, about 27 days 20 almost 25 days left until this long national nightmare might and i underscore might be over <laughs> we'll see sorry <laughs> call them like i see them uh that is of course desi doyan our producer how are you des you <laughs> holding right. up okay good yes yes i'm ready for this election to be over no 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 it's very exciting uh people in the media they love this stuff they love elections it's all about you know uh b- explosive headlines and this is of course when the mainstream corporate media makes all of their big money on campaign ads and everything else maybe that's why i don't uh, love it quite so much we don't take money from political organizations or corporations and so forth. Um, but anyway, uh, I got to call it like I see it. Speaking of calling it like I see it, coming up, those uh, WikiLeak emails. Uh, WikiLeaks has been on a tear since last Friday, at least, releasing almost daily now what are believed to be thousands of hacked private emails to and from Hillary Clinton campaign chief uh, John Podesta. There's been a lot of those headlines I was mentioning about them. Explosive this and that. And uh, well, is there really any there there? We will speak to a, uh, a to a Clinton supporter. I think it's fair to say who says, yes, there is. Well, sort of some there there. As usual, I will try. We will try our best to cut through the noise because there is plenty of it out there, uh, and try to make sense of it all so you can understand it, so we can all understand it. Uh, Moving away the uh, corporate media nonsense for ratings and everything else, just trying to understand it. 
Uh, thanks, by the way, to those of you who allow us to do that uh, by stopping at uh, bradblog.com slash donate. That is greatly appreciated. Uh, all right, so that's coming up shortly, but also some breaking news as we go to air. A, a number of breaking news items, in fact. Wells Fargo CEO John Stumpf is, uh, well, they call it retiring. What he's doing is resigning. He's been pushed out. Uh, the company... Uh, says uh, this after regulators had accused the bank of creating more than two million bogus accounts. Not just regulators accused, Wells Fargo has admitted as much. And we played a few weeks ago when uh, John Stump was hauled before the U.S. Senate. We played Elizabeth Warren's just absolutely excoriating uh, questioning of John Stumpf. And uh, what do you know? Real oversight, real oversight by Congress on real issues actually works, at least to some extent. It has finally, it seems, succeeded in pushing uh, in pushing this guy out, at least to some extent. I am curious if uh, the Wells Fargo Corporation is going to claw back any of the something like two hundred million dollars in profits and weight and pay that he made mm. in a higher stock price. From that, those fraudulent from sales yeah. tactics. Well, that's right. That's true. He says he retires. Doesn't Wait. say he resi- doesn't say he was fired, and they're asking to get that money back for uh, for consumers. So we'll see. But but you're right. At least a little bit of oversight there. That is breaking. We'll learn more about that in the coming days, I suspect. Uh, also, we spent yesterday uh, talking with the Daniel Smith down in uh, in Florida, great election expert down there, about what's been going on in the fight to extend voter registration for Floridians. After they were displaced over the weekend, uh, the past weekend, by Hurricane Matthew, the governor, Rick Scott, who, by the way, hates the idea that you folks in Florida might actually vote. Uh, He refused to extend the voter registration deadline, despite the fact that he had forced, essentially forced uh, uh, more than a million people to evacuate with the storm coming in. He was right, I think, to uh, order that evacuation. But then when he was asked about extending the voter registration deadline, this was the the final weekend for voter registration. Uh, The deadline was a Tuesday of this week. That's the big, and as Daniel Smith on our show yesterday explained, more than, what was it, 116,000 new voters in Florida had signed up during roughly that same period, the last five or six days before the registration deadline back in 2012. 116,000 voters. So, um, and and those voters would be ultimately uh, disenfranchised this year. Those same new voters, about 100,000 of them. Uh, so, some good news. A federal judge on Wednesday has extended the voter registration deadline by six days in the state of Florida. So, Democrats had sued for this to try to make this happen. The judge... Uh, had been uh, he, he was not satisfied, let's say, with uh, Governor Rick Scott's uh, reasoning for not extending the deadline. He wrote when he had extended the deadline by just one day until today. Now, now in, in, in a hearing was held today and he has since uh, extended it by a week. But initially, he said it has been suggested that the issue of extending the voter registration deadline is about politics, poppycock. Federal Judge Mark E. Walker wrote, This case is about the right of aspiring eligible voters to register and to have their votes counted. Nothing could be more fundamental to our democracy. 
So good for uh, Judge Mark E. Walker down there in Florida. Another week, uh, unless I guess the state of Florida could uh, appeal this decision and say, no, we don't want them to uh, have another week to register. And this is not just Democrats registering to vote. This is all voters being able to register to vote. So uh, Scott had said, everybody has had plenty of time to register. I don't need I don't intend to make any changes. That's what he said last week on the same day he was ordering an evacuation of Florida. So some good news there. Okay, by way of public service announcement, because I'm feeling so generous because of that today uh, for Donald Trump supporters. uh, This is a public service announcement for you. Here's what Donald Trump told you yesterday in uh, Panama City, Florida. We're doing something that's incredible. It's a movement. But if we don't win, all it is is a little asterisk in history. There's never been anything like this. So go and register. Make sure you get out and vote November 28th. Okay, now, never mind Donald Trump's little asterisk. Asterisk. Uh, Is that what he said? Yes. Uh, Never mind that. Um, No, don't go out and vote on November 28th. Now, Republicans for years... Uh, Actually, I think uh, maybe there's evidence that Democrats have done this over the years. I don't know. But it's been a dirty trick that you say, uh, you know, you tell people the election day is a different day than it actually is. Democrats uh, or what are the Republicans Republicans vote on on Tuesday. Democrats Democrats vote vote next week on Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, so, no, the election is not, despite what Donald Trump said, it is not November 8th, uh, 28th. It is actually November 8th. Tuesday, November 8th. Just wanted to make that clear in case there was any question about it. So it was Donald Trump dirty tricking himself? Kinda, yeah. Well, dirty <laughs> dirty tricking his own supporters, apparently. He's tired. He's tired. I'm, I'm worried about him. I'm worried about his health. About his stamina. Yeah. Does he have the stamina? He should also smile more. Anyway, <laughs> um, so that's Donald Trump. Public service announcement for you uh, Trump supporters, and I know you're listening. I hear from you all the time. Uh, mean, in the meantime, um, as I try to find something, anything positive to say about the uh, the toxic, dangerous, uh, indescribably dishonest Trump-Pence campaign, uh, this, uh, this audio tape, this video has been making the rounds in the corporate media a bit over the past 12 hours or so, but really just one part of it. Uh, so I'd lo- I want to play the whole thing. Uh, and Des, we need, may need to stop and start here a little bit. All right. Um, because apart from the first part that has been playing a, a little bit on cable news, there is actually a bit more that I'm, I'm going to try to get. I'm going to try. Not easy, but I'm trying in the spirit of fairness. Uh, to give Indiana, I want to give some credit to Indiana Governor and uh, Republican Vice Presidential nominee Mike Pence. I want to give him some credit, a, a little bit here. Now, there are two parts of note here. The, the first is the part that's been played a lot. His comments in response to a woman that people are calling Revolution Rhonda. Uh, some are calling her at a rally where uh, he spoke yesterday in, uh, in Newton, Iowa. Small rally, by the way. Small crowd, small room. Um, But his comments um, in reply to her call for revolution have been lauded by many and maybe they are praiseworthy. But there was a little bit more because he also uh, spoke to her comments about voter fraud. So let's move through this a little bit here. Uh, Here's the first part. uh, The the lady's question and Pence's initial response. Uh, My name is Rhonda. Rhonda. I'm on social media every day, all day, nonstop. 
Yeah, since so last, am I. Since last June. I mean, not me. I mean, no, pushing Trump. And one of the biggest things I can tell you that a lot of us are scared of is this voter fraud. We are, there's a lot of us that are out here saying that we go to vote, we're going to wear red. Okay. Our lives depend on this election. Our kids' futures depend on this election. And I will tell you, just for me, and I don't want this to happen, but I will tell you for me personally, if Hillary Clinton gets in, I myself, I'm ready for a revolution because we can't have her in. Yeah, you don't, don't say But that. I'm just saying it. No, you know, I'm like Trump. You know, I'm, am I, do I not speak for people here? Do I not saying the truth, guys? Come on. Yeah, there's a revolution coming on November the 8th. I promise you. There's... Okay, hold it there for a second here. We'll just hit that. So that's the first part where uh, he's saying, no, no, we don't need a revolution. The revolution comes on November 8th, not November 28th. But November 8th, uh, Mike Pence, you know, saying, no, you know, the revolution is at the ballot box. It's with the ballot, not the bullet. Uh, So uh, good for him for saying that. I don't understand that we're going to wear red part. Maybe that's a a thing now. They're all going to wear red, meaning who knows? I don't know. The woman says they're ready for ready for a revolution. Really? She sounds very upset. Very yes, fearful. she's very upset. She is scared, scared, terrified about voter fraud, voter fraud by these Democrats, because as we've talked about for years on the show, Republicans pretend there's massive voter fraud going on at the polls, et cetera. All right. Continue the take. What, what, what are we going to do to safeguard our votes? Because well, we've seen how the Democratic Party is just crooked, crooked, crooked. Well, look, I'll tell you, number one, it's, you know, Elections are administered at the state level. They are. Now, I'll tell you, in the state of Indiana right now, we've got a pretty vigorous investigation into voter fraud going on right now. And in the state of Indiana, and I encourage you here in Iowa, everybody, is let's be sure, whether it's Secretary of State or whoever, let's make sure that our elected officials are upholding the principle of one person, one vote, and the best antidote to that is to be involved in the election process there if if you are concerned about voter integrity and you haven't signed up to be a poll watcher to volunteer at a polling place to be a part of the integrity of that process then you need to do it because i truly do believe it is that the right to vote is a sacred right that was won and was protected by these men and women in uniform and uh, for our part we defend it by maintaining the integrity of the system okay Now, uh, that was, once again, Mike Pence, vice presidential nominee, responding to uh, uh, Revolution Ronda, as some are calling her. Uh, And he's he's right and he's wrong in a couple of parts. One, uh, elections are run at the state level. So I guess what he's suggesting here is that the federal government, Barack Obama and his big vote stealing machine, I guess, can't come in and uh, control the elections. And Mike Pence would sort of know this. He's the governor of Indiana. So, uh, you know, what he's saying is, no, 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 we control, not the federal government. We, at the state level, we control our elections. And in fact, the state of Indiana is uh, one of the actually the first, I believe, to institute photo ID voting restrictions. So they've already got photo ID voting restrictions in Mike Pence's state. Um, He says the elections are administered at the state level. He says we have a vigorous investigation into voter fraud going on in Indiana. Now, in fact, there is no 
investigation into voter fraud going on in Indiana. There is a, let's call it, vigorous investigation by the state police into voter registration fraud. And I don't want to get into the details right now. Maybe we'll do it in the future. But suffice to say, this is one of those things... It, remember those acorn uh, investigations that would c- always crop up right before the election and they would basically shut down these uh, these groups that were doing voter registration perfectly legally, not committing voter fraud, not committing fraud, not even committing voter registration fraud, but actually going out and registering to vote tens of thousands of new voters. And in the case of Acorn, they were low and middle uh, income voters. So God forbid they should have access to their franchise. So we've got to shut down Acorn and pretend they are defrauding the system. There has never been, there is no evidence, none of any fraudulent vote ever cast due to an improper registration that was uh, created by Acorn. Well, the group in Indiana is kind of like one of those groups. At least that's what it appears. They actually check they claim to check each and every voter registration that they get, that their their workers collect. They claim to check it to make sure it's uh, not fraudulent before they turn it in. And if they find something questionable, they still have to turn it in, but they flag it as potentially fraudulent or problematic. It's missing a zip code. Um, the voter has got their, uh, you know, put their phone number incorrectly, transposed some numbers, but they can't change it. They have to turn it in as is and flag it. And pretty much every year, Republicans go out and they say, voter fraud is going on. These groups. Now, what it does there, there has been raids across the state of Indiana by the state police taking away their computers, their cell phones, claiming that there is some sort of massive voter registration fraud going on by this group. Uh, Indiana Voter Registration Project, I think, is the name of the group. Uh, we don't know much more than that. Uh, the, the head of the group says that's not the case, says we flag anything that's a problem before we turn in the voter registration form. He doesn't seem worried about it other than the fact that they had to stop their essentially stop their voter registration drive because the state state police, Governor Mike Pence's state police have essentially shut down this operation. We will see what they have when they come out. But if history is any indication, what we've seen in the past elections with groups like ACORN, Nothing comes out. There's, uh, you know, maybe a worker who uh, feels, you know, who, who, who doesn't go out and, and do the registration work that day and so fills out some fraudulent names. Of course, those people don't vote because they don't exist. Um, yeah, and it's, you know, in the case of Acorn, it was always caught by Acorn. We'll see what if that's what happened here or not. We don't know. But in any event, it is not voter fraud, as this woman Suggested and as Mike Pence suggested. So he gets no credit for that. So he gets credit for saying no, no, no revolution, but vote on November 8th. Credit for that. Not credit for saying even suggesting there is some sort of voter fraud going on in in Indiana. But here's where I wanted to give him credit because I'm so generous. He said, be involved in the election process. He used the word voter integrity and the truth. The voters are doing fine. Leave them alone. But election integrity, he says, be involved in the election process. If you haven't signed up to join the party uh, to become a poll monitor or a poll worker, do it. 
And I agree. Do it. Whether you're Republican, Democratic, you can call your your favorite political party and sign up, get training on what to watch for, how to not be stalking people and intimidating people at the polls. If you're a free agent who Donald Trump has called for to, you know, just go out to the polls and intimidate people and question and challenge. No. Sign up with one of these groups who are doing poll watching. Uh, they're all over the country. Uh, all the parties have them participate in the process. If you participate in the process, you will learn there may be a whole hell of a lot less there than uh, your Republican overlords in this question in, in this uh, instance are suggesting. So um, I want to laud him for uh, telling people to take the right action. No revolt. You should vote and you should participate in the process. Be a poll worker, be a poll monitor, be a poll watcher. Um, all that is good. But try to be an official one. Sign up, get information on how to do it rather than show up with your red sweater and declare revolution. A quick break and we were back with questions about these WikiLeaks emails. All of that and more on the broadcast right ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. What's next, WikiLeaks? What's next, WikiLeaks? What's next? Yes, what? Don't stop now, we're on the edge of our seats. Well, maybe an overstatement. What's next, WikiLeaks? What's next, WikiLeaks? What's next? Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yes, WikiLeaks has been on a tear the last several days. Beginning on Friday of last week, uh, on the same day that the uh, uh, the Washington Post released that Access Hollywood videotape of Donald Trump. So a lot of this has gotten lost. And then, of course, there was the Sunday debate, etc. But they have been on a tear. Beginning on Friday, they released a trove of private emails sent to and from Hillary Clinton's campaign chief, John Podesta, thousands of them. And they have been uh, releasing even more ever since in the in the days since Friday. Uh, thousands of uh, well, many media folks, at least, have been going through them ever since, including me over the weekend, uh, late, late last night, etc. The WikiLeaks emails being released seem to fall into three general categories, uh, fake, entirely fake emails, for example, John Podesta calling Bernie Sanders supporters a bucket of losers. Now, I don't know that WikiLeaks actually released that themselves, but uh, that was one of the emails that was floating around that people were claiming came from uh, came from WikiLeaks. And then there are presumably real emails. A lot of it has, uh, in my opinion, just become sort of a fever swamp of gossipy intraparty bitching and politicking. Uh, in other words, uh, not particularly newsworthy 
and sort of the sausage making of democracy known as modern day politics, uh, stuff that is real and maybe embarrassing, much as it would be if your personal emails were unleashed in a world full of people looking for some reason to confirm their bi- their, their their bias against you. Uh, that you're terrible or you're corrupt or they just want to embarrass you. But maybe it's interesting stuff, but I haven't found it particularly newsworthy, at least not much of it. And and frankly, troubling that these private emails to private individuals showing no illegalities uh, or public business, that these things are being unleashed on the public. That's sort of the second category. And then there's the third category, the stuff that's actually newsworthy in some fashion. Uh, It may come from an otherwise private email, but its publication actually serves a public interest, such as the case, for example, with the emails. This is part of the batch that was released on Friday, citing concerns from the uh, transcripts of various private paid for Hillary Clinton speeches made to groups like Goldman Sachs and so forth. These are the speeches that she has long refused to release, despite calls from Bernie Sanders and and folks in the media to do so. There are snippets from those transcripts, from those private speeches, and that seems newsworthy to me, at least in some respect. They came up, those uh, snippets of those transcripts at least, came up during the debate on Sunday night, uh, here's uh, here's the question and answer that was asked of Hillary Clinton, and then we'll we'll get to Donald Trump's response to it in a second. WikiLeaks release of purported excerpts of Secretary Clinton's paid speeches, which she has refused to release, and one line in particular in which you, Secretary Clinton, purportedly say you need both a public and private position on certain issues. As I recall, that was uh, something I said about Abraham Lincoln after having seen the wonderful Steven Spielberg movie called Lincoln. It was a master class watching President Lincoln get the Congress to approve the 13th Amendment. And I was making the point that it is hard sometimes to get the Congress to do what you want to do. And yes, President Lincoln was trying to convince some people, he used some arguments. Convincing other people, he used other arguments. That uh, was a great, uh, uh, I thought, a great uh, display of presidential leadership. That was Hillary Clinton responding to the question about uh, the transcripts where she suggested you need to have a private and public position on policy. Donald Trump thought that was just absolutely ridiculous, uh, quoting Abraham Lincoln there. She said things, WikiLeaks, that just came out. And she lied. Now she's blaming the lie on the late, great Abraham Lincoln. That's one that I have. Okay, honest Abe. Honest Abe never lied. That's the good thing. That's the big difference between Abraham Lincoln and you. Okay, so that was Donald Trump's response. Now, if you look at these actual transcripts, uh, Hillary was right. This was a speech for uh, National Multi-Housing Council, apparently. Again, we are presuming that these transcripts, this section of the uh, emails released by WikiLeaks, are actually accurate, uh, in which the uh, the campaign was concerned about uh, this uh, speech. Is this something we should worry about, her saying you have a private and public position? Well, 
She says, if you look at the transcript, you just have to sort of figure out how to, getting back to that word, balance, how to balance the public and the private efforts that are necessary to be successful politically. And that's not just a comment about today. She said that, I think, has probably been true for all of our history. If you saw the Spielberg movie Lincoln and how he was maneuvering and working to get the 13th Amendment passed, and he called one of my favorite predecessors, Secretary Seward, uh, who had been governor and senator from New York, ran against Lincoln for president. And he told Seward, I need your help to get this done, et cetera, et cetera. She goes on to describe the effort to pass um, the 13th Amendment by Abraham Lincoln. And uh, that sometimes, she says, the uh, sausage, I mean, politics is like sausage being made. It's unsavory. It always has been that way. But we usually end up where we need to be. But if everybody's watching, you know, all of the backroom discussions and the deals, you know, then people get a little nervous, to say the least. So you need both a public and a private position. So Donald Trump accused her of lying. I see no lie. I see that the uh, text backs her up in this case. But what else is in those speech transcripts released by WikiLeaks uh, from John Podesta's emails that voters need to know about, if anything, before November 8th? What do they uh, reveal? What do the transcripts of these long sought private speeches to groups like uh, bankers at Goldman Sachs actually reveal? Well, David Atkins is here to tell us uh, after writing about them over the weekend where he described them as problematic at least in some respect, for Hillary Clinton. David O. Atkins is a writer, campaign professional, and researcher who blogs for Washington Monthly's Political Animal. And David, you were on a tear this weekend about not just this, but a lot of stuff. Welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Hey, uh, thanks for having me, and I'm happy to be here. Great. Uh, glad to have you. All right, let's 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 start there, and then we can get into some of the specifics. But why are the excerpts of those speeches, specifically as you wrote about over the weekend, presumably the parts of them where, where the Clinton campaign had some concerns about these uh, transcripts becoming public, why are they uh, problematic as you see it? Because... I, well, I, I'm not seeing them quite as problematic. And believe me, I've been looking. I've been trying to find what's troubling and problematic about it. And so far, I'm striking out. Uh, they're problematic, uh, politically speaking. They're not problematic in the way that a lot of people are trying to make out, mm -hmm. which is showing her actively corrupt or colluding. And I think that was a big uh, mistake, I think, that a lot of Sanders supporters made which is that there's been a lot of accusations against Hillary Clinton that her uh, that she's literally pay-to-play in terms of corruption. Um, the right wing makes that mm -hmm. argument. Uh, uh, certainly members of the far left have made that argument. And it, it's not really true, and, it's, and it goes to a misunderstanding of how politics actually works, which is most people aren't actually overtly pay-to-play corrupt. What and Hillary Clinton isn't either by any account. Like we've now had five releases of these Podesta emails, and while there has been some potentially uncomfortable stuff in terms of maybe uh, cozy relationships between reporters and the campaign, mm -hmm. or maybe too much contact between the campaign and maybe some of its packs. Although certainly the Republicans are doing that like crazy as well. Uh, there's not really much there in terms of corruption allegations. When I said they were problematic, what I meant was they confirm a lot of what Bernie Sanders supporters had suspected about where her actual
actual political instincts lay. She she moved left significantly uh, over the course of the primary, mm-hmm. sort of catching up with Sanders as she understood that the Democratic base was more progressive than it had been in the 1990s. Um, and I think what she said to Goldman Sachs confirmed that she's much more in the center uh Mm-hmm. Then I hate using that word. It sounds good, but it's really not. She, she's much <laughs> more of a sort of <laughs> Wall Street friendly bent than the Democratic base would necessarily have been okay with had these things been known. Uh, I think the argument you seem to be making is that, and actually you you write as much here, uh, that uh, these uh, transcripts frankly would and should have been a big problem for her had they been released during the Democratic primary. You know, I'm not even sure of that. And I know that I'm going to get catch a lot of hell from people claiming I'm some sort of a Hillary flack. And and by the way, I think you guys over at Washington Monthly have been very, very pro-Hillary. I think that's fair to say. Is it not, uh, David? I yeah. don't want to... Uh, yeah, g- generally, generally the authors... I'm probably the most um, flame-throwing lefty of the authors okay. at, at Washington Monthly. Uh, you know, Martin Longman mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, uh, pretty close to Bernie sympathizer, Letourneau, Nancy Letourneau has been mm-hmm. on Clinton's camp. But yeah, the Washington Monthly generally has been a fairly center-left publication over its time. So I'm happy to write there and provide a uh, a more um, Occupy-ish, Sanders-ish sort of perspective. Uh, well, okay. Hopefully, like, with some serious reason behind it. Yeah, no, I know. And that's kind of why I wanted you to come on and talk about it, because, uh, you know, if anyone at the Washington Monthly, you'd have a, a reason to find a problem here. But, you know, when you look at it, it's one thing when you take these quotes out of context, as they did with uh, you should have a public private position. Uh, and, you know, she responded, well, that was about Lincoln. And you look at the documents. That is exactly what the documents say. When you uh, suggest, David Atkins, that, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders supporters might have found evidence that here that she was more in the center than they would have liked. Well, she has sort of said that publicly as well. Looking again at the actual transcripts, um, Clinton's uh, this is uh, to a uh, remarks uh, to Xerox, I guess, a private speech to Xerox in 2014. Um, whoever's interviewing her says, uh, ask her about Democrats. She says, oh, I'm long on Democrats, definitely. Republicans, she says, unfortunately, at the time, short. Uh, The questioner says, "Okay, we'll go back to questions. uh, And Clinton adds, we need two parties. We need two sensible, moderate, pragmatic parties. Now, if that's the most damning thing, you can come up with from these speeches. And in many regards, I found that it was just about the most damning thing. I've been asking people on Twitter and elsewhere what troubles you about this. And, you know, they point to stuff like that, that if you look at it in context, you might not agree with it, but it's isn't it kind of what we all already know about Hillary Clinton and we've known for many years? Right. I think. Yes and no. So there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, first of all, I should mention, of course, that uh, Washington Monthly is, you know, non nonpartisan. So none of us are actually like endorsing candidates in mm-hmm. the magazine or anything. Um, now that having been said, in terms of Clinton's speeches, yes, like the idea that there should be two moderate, sensible parties. That's actually one of the least objectionable things in the speeches. Although people focus on that. The other thing that people focused on way too much was this public position, private position thing, mm-hmm. which is easy to to throw rocks, 
from glass houses, especially if you've never actually had to try to negotiate in any um, sort of organizational setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've ever tried to lead a large group of people, you know that you have to be able to negotiate behind the scenes. That's also not actually objectionable. I think the parts of the speeches that would have caused her problems um, and that are upsetting to those of us of, of a more rational progressive bent is her um, endorsement of the Simpson-Bowles framework mm-hmm. as good. Right. Uh, yep. That's not OK. Uh, and that would have caused her a lot of problems had it been released during the primary, uh, because the Simpson Bull framework is atrocious. And, you know, folks like Digby and I yeah. uh, were going crazy over this back during grand bargain days of Barack Obama. Can, can you explain um, for you know, people when, who when, for, for people who don't know, can you explain in general what Simpson Bowles was that she is uh, saying? She says that Simpson Bowles is generally the correct framework. She says the big elements of it were right. What What is in general uh, Simpson Bowles, if you can explain that in, you know, easy, simple terms here? Yeah. So Simpson Bowles uh, is based on the, the public figures that mm-hmm. uh that are responsible for it. I think their names are Alan Simpson. I don't mm-hmm. know who Bowles first name Erskine, is. Erskine Bowles, yeah. Erskine Bowles, yeah, yes. there we go. Uh, and these are deficit reduction warriors, right? They, they, they believe that reducing the deficit is the, like, primary goal of mm-hmm. American policy for them, um, which, of course, Paul Krugman and a lot of liberal economists have pointed out would be a terrible idea and we don't really need to worry about right now when we're in a uh, still sort of recessionary environment at almost negative interest rates, like the last thing we need to be worried about is deficit reduction. We can borrow money very cheap. Um, So they want to reduce deficits by dramatically cutting back on spending Mm -hmm. and by raising taxes. Now, the stereotype of Democrats is of people who want to raise taxes, but we don't want to raise taxes. We want to be able to pay for programs um, because we know that raising taxes, while it doesn't do as much damage as Republicans say it does, it's obviously a, uh, you know, it comes at a cost, right? The less money people have to spend, the less the economy can expand. And we want to tax people at the very top who have way more than they can use, and the very rich don't actually spend it. They mm-hmm. just sock it away. And we want to be able to pay for programs that make people's lives better and that make them feel safer and richer and freer so that they will actually spend money. For instance, if you create health care for the poor, then they're not... Mm-hmm. wasting their health care money, they're healthier, and theoretically they're able to spend more money. You give, them, you give people better education, mm-hmm. then the economy grows. That, that sort of like philosophy of economic growth. So what Simpson-Bowles wants to do is cut spending a lot, mm-hmm. which of course is recessionary, mm-hmm. right? That is incredibly damaging. Right. And they want to raise taxes, the worst of both worlds, with the goal of eliminating the deficit, which is not... a a goal that we really need to be worrying about right now. And those uh, and the deficit hawks, uh, you know, are incredibly damaging. But there was a huge amount of uh, conventional wisdom on both sides that said that we needed to be following that. And following that is not a good idea. Specifically, she, uh, she says, this is a speech to Morgan Stanley. She says, you have to restrain spending, you have to have adequate revenues, and you have to have growth. And I think we are smart enough to figure out how to do that. She, she's talking about the Simpson-Bowles framework, those three things, restraining spending, adequate revenues to pay for uh, government services, and you need to grow the economy. That, 
Uh, and uh, frankly, your explanation of it, David, uh, I mean, this is all such wonky in the weed stuff that actually uh, this uh, business about Simpson Bowles, I think it underscores your point that this might maybe have hurt her against uh, in the contest against uh, Bernie Sanders. But it actually helps her, I would think, if anybody pays attention to it right now in a general election, at least with Republicans who support in general this stuff. But again, not hardly explosive. I, I, I read uh, the headline, I think it was today at Vanity Fair, a list of the, quote, eight most explosive things in the Podesta emails. And none of them were explosive at all. And I, I hate to say it, and I think you actually get at the same thing in your coverage, that ultimately... Maybe there's some stuff that could be troubling to folks on the on the left. And when you take these words out of context, uh, it it can be made uh, to be used against her as Donald Trump dishonestly did in that speech. Uh, I'm sorry, in that debate. But so far. I still don't see very much. Now, there's a lot. There's thousands of them out there, and WikiLeaks is releasing them every day, and maybe there will be more, and maybe there will be something that catches her or Bill Clinton or something with their hand in the cookie jar. But, I mean, this is kind of wonky stuff. This is, you know, not not the Access Hollywood bus, that's for sure. No, it's not. And, and that's why I want to be, like, I'm straddling a line in terms of defending Clinton yeah. on the merits of, like, there we've had now we're now right now in the middle of Pedestal League five. It just sort of dropped half an hour ago or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and through the thousands and thousands of these emails, you would think that given the way House of Cards mm-hmm. and a lot of, you know, people <laughs> for picture politics, that if the if a person like Podesta's private emails were made public, that you would see all sorts of seamy yes. state of play corruption and vicious like knifing of people and punishing people, you're not seeing that, right? The the worst that's coming out of Podesta's private email box is that the DNC really did play favorites with Clinton, which is a known thing now, Mm -hmm. Uh, and Bernie Sanders people have a right to be upset about that, but it's also not surprising, you Mm -hmm. know, when you fight the establishment, the establishment fights back, that's what it means to fight the establishment. Um, We can be upset. It's not surprising, and heads rolled, right? Uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz is out. Donna Brazil, who is, by all accounts, a, uh, a fair operator, is in. Uh, the allegations against Brazil from these emails are ridiculous and way overwrought. Um, so there's already been accountability on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other things that have come out are, again, uh, a bunch of people who don't understand how communications works. Uh, um are talking about the co-relationships between reporters and staff, but that happens on both sides of the aisle, and it's how communications work. You find a friendly reporter, Mm -hmm. you pitch them stories, the reporter might write up your stories Mm -hmm. and get quotes from you. That's not corruption. That's how it works. Like, hello? (laughs) It's it's ridiculous. Well, and and, and that's why, you know, I'm... uh, in one sense, looking at these uh, looking at these transcripts, uh, the excerpts from them that were in the emails that were, you know, apparently, according to Podesta and or, or the, the people writing to him, these are the ones these are the snippets they were most concerned about. The, I don't understand if this is it, if this is the worst, it makes me think there's got to be more. 
because going through the snippets that they had from those paid speeches makes you wonder why the hell they didn't just release it in the first place. I don't see anything, and and I'm not even sure you argue uh, that it would have been more damaging, uh, you know, in, in the primary with Bernie. I don't even see them that way. For example, there's um, one part where she's actually lauding single-payer health care, which publicly she had right. said we will never, ever have. But here she is, you know, citing Sweden's single-payer and Can- uh, Canada's single-payer as if something she supported. That seems like that would help her in her case against uh, uh, Bernie Sanders in the primary. Yeah, so here's where I'll disagree with you a little bit. I, uh, of course, agree on the universal health care thing, uh, 100%. Uh, where, where it would have hurt her in the primary against Sanders is that she tried to portray herself as agreeing with Sanders on the policy, mm-hmm. but disagreeing with him, or on most of the policy, but disagreeing with him on the approach that she wanted the same things as him, she wanted to hold Wall Street accountable, she wanted to accomplish the same things, but she knew how to work the levers of power better, and Sanders was a crazy person who would never get anything done, and she was the pragmatic progressive who would accomplish things. And what the Sanders folks said is, that's not true, you're being dishonest, you don't actually have the same priorities with regard to Wall Street that... Uh, that the Sanders people do, and and you're faking this for the primary, was essentially the argument. And what the speeches do show is that she does have a significantly more center-left approach to Wall Street. Now, some people have said, well, of course, she was giving a speech in front of them. What do you expect her to say? Well, okay, but like then don't take money to give speeches to Goldman Sachs then. Uh, if you have to say things that you don't believe. But I think most of us believe that she does believe these things, and among them are... And this doesn't make her very different from President Obama, by the way. Like, the Bernie people have the same criticisms of President Obama, that he was... You have to remember, from uh, during the 2014 sort of era, Mm -hmm. uh, there was a huge focus on deficit reduction. It's part of how we got the... um, uh, the sequestration in the first place. That right. wasn't just the Republicans pulling that off. There were a huge number of Democrats who were pushing that as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was this talk uh, that she was giving about how Wall Street, Wall Street's role in the collapse of the economy had been overly politicized and that it was going to take a lot of cooperation from insiders on Wall Street who mm-hmm. knew how it worked and that we really needed to work with moderate regulations you know, whereas the Bernie camp was like, no, these people are terrible. They knew what they were doing. They collapsed the economy completely, and you need to break up the big banks and prosecute them and hold them accountable. Those are very different messages. And I think had uh, had those email had those speeches come out, mm-hmm. the contrast between Clinton and Bernie would have been much greater. The other uh, last thing I want to mention yeah. is the open borders, open trade thing right. would have really been damaging. Because, of course, the TPP was a huge, huge issue. And that's the one thing that could hurt her in the general election. Like, but, here, but only if you take I, it out I, of only if you take it out of context again. Yeah. I, I mean, she says, my dream is a hemispheric. She says, my dream is a hemispheric common market with open trade and open borders sometime in the future with energy that it, that is as green and sustainable as we can get it. Powering growth and opportunity for every person in the hemisphere. That was to uh, some uh, Italian bank or something. Uh, again. Right. 
so okay who cares isn't that everybody's dream to have a, a, a an open world where everyone does well and we all share and i mean th- it's not though uh, i mean and here again where i i straddle the fence here i mm-hmm. defend her because i actually agree like i consider myself sort of a globalist socialist type i mm-hmm. i believe that you know people trying to protect jobs for people in their own nation-state as opposed to some other nation-state isn't really much more morally defensible than protecting jobs for someone of your own race or your own gender. Like, it's just Mm -hmm. another form of discrimination, as far as I'm concerned. But I'm in the minority there. Uh, Both on the right and on the left, you have a large number of people that are very upset, and rightly so, that corporations... Uh, say American corporations have been taking jobs away from American people mm-hmm. and making a lot of money by hiring overseas people mm-hmm. at far cheaper at slave wages, right. basically. And they have a right to be upset about that. And a lot of people don't want a big open borders, open trade thing because, you know, in order to have that, the only way that doesn't lead to a race to the bottom with massive inequality mm-hmm. is if you have some very serious sort of radical wealth redistribution strategies like universal basic incomes or massive government jobs programs. I mean, Hillary Clinton has not shown any inclination toward radically restructuring our economy. So I think people start to get upset, and probably rightly so, in my opinion, when you have someone who is an incrementalist mm-hmm. in terms of policy change who also is advocating for the eventual dissolution of borders and completely open trade because incremental well incremental policy plus open borders and trade is a disaster for regular workers. unless you have you know rules and restrictions on uh, minimum wages and all sorts of stuff like that and i hate to i mean i know i realize i am completely coming across as if i'm some sort of a hillary clinton apologist and i don't even know that i'm going to vote for the woman i'm just trying to deal with with you know the facts and you look at uh and this has come out today i don't even know if you saw this yet david but um Matt Stoller noticed uh, from the Podesta emails that uh, Clinton herself had ordered opposition to the TPP uh, because she doesn't like the investor state, the ISDS, the Investor State Dispute Settlement Court. That's this extra legal investment uh, court that I, I, I hate personally in TPP. I know a lot of critics do that, you know, that allows you to, you know, companies to have this process that they can uh, challenge actually laws, you know, American laws and so forth. Um, she was against the ISDS months and months before uh, she even stated, uh, you know, her opposition publicly to PPP. Uh, many people said it was in response, obviously, to Bernie Sanders' opposition to TPP. But these emails show she was against it uh, like a year earlier. She also opposed the Keystone XL pipeline about six months before she said so publicly and before Barack Obama ultimately uh, and officially rejected it. I, I, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm trying to get worked up and concerned and furious and outraged about these emails. But so far, I'm striking out. <laughs> That's right. And I'm, and I'm agreeing with you on 80% of it. Okay. I, think, I, think there's, I think there's some stuff in the emails to be upset about that, that Sanders people especially have a right to be upset about. Number one is that they were right about the DNC collusion, and especially with the, the mm-hmm. fifth batch that just been released, 
uh, there's even more evidence that they were jiggering debate times, and it was it was really sort of collusive mm-hmm. between the Clinton campaign and the DNC. Again, like I never expected otherwise. I think a lot of these Bernie folks thought that they could fight the establishment, but that they wouldn't actually have to fight the establishment. Mm-hmm. Kind of like I don't understand that. Of course, the DNC was going to collude with the Clinton campaign. What did you expect? Right. Um, but. Still, like, they should have been fair brokers, and they weren't. Okay, fine. Like, but we've been through that. Heads rolled. Like, yeah. there's been accountability. Um, the other thing, of course, is that there's all sorts of untoward goings-on between campaigns and their super PACs. We know that's happening on both sides mm-hmm. of the aisle. It's happening everywhere by all campaigns. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yes, we need to do something about that. And Clinton has been on the record that we need stronger regulations on that. So, Okay. Uh, and then the third thing, like I said, is just this stuff about how people reading tea leaves into what Clinton really believes versus what she says she believes and whether she's actually as progressive as she campaigned during the primary. And the speeches give a bunch of evidence, at least on the issue of Wall Street, that she's significantly more sort of centrist on those mm-hmm. issues, then she maybe made herself appear during the primary, which, again, okay. should not come as a surprise to anyone. Uh, uh, yeah. and, and, and this is sort of where I come down, right? What's been frustrating with a lot of the accusations from the Bernie people, and certainly from the entire right wing, is this view of Hillary Clinton as this scheming, corrupt politician who is pay-to-play mm-hmm. and taking bribes and all this stuff. And intelligent critics of Clinton were never really making those accusations. And and there's uh, no they, evidence, uh, uh, David, i got to get out, I mean, because there really is no evidence to support that point of view, uh, at least not yet. And there's going to be more. So I'm open to more when it shows up, as I know you are, David. Um, but so far, uh, I'm seeing kind of a big nothing burger Sounds like you're seeing an eighty mm, percent nothing yeah, burger. Yeah, mostly. Yeah, mostly nothing. <laughs> yeah, mostly a nothing burger. And what there is, it should frankly come as no surprise to anyone. Basically, confirmation of what most intelligent people already knew was happening, uh, and should not really be a surprise to anyone. And certainly nothing that betrays the sort of allegations of you know, oh, she's so corrupt that are that everyone's trying to bandy about. There's really nothing there. Yeah, da- she's a center-left politician. David deal. Atkins, uh, <laughs> center-left politician, deal with it. Exactly. That's what she is. David Atkins, uh, writer, researcher, uh, campaign professional, uh, now blogging at Washington Monthly's Political Animal, and uh, over uh, with our friend Digby at digbysblog.blogspot.com. Find David's work at WashingtonMonthly.com and on the Twitters at David O. Atkins. Thank you, brother. Really good uh, to talk to you. Appreciate your work as ever. And uh, come back and disagree with me as much as you can in the future. You too, Brad. Thanks. Thanks, man. All right, a quick break, and we're back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. What the public hears over the public airwaves matters. Without an informed electorate, we've got, well, we got what we have right now. We do our best on the broadcast five days a week to balance that with accurate reporting on issues that actually matter. 
We don't always get it right, but we try like hell to do so. And we do it all independently and without the influence of corporate or political funding. But we can't do it without you. Please don't presume others will step up. We need you to help us keep doing what Desi Doyen and myself try to do every day on the broadcast. Please help us continue to do so by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep the broadcast going and telling the truth over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. Don't wait. Please stop by today. Thanks. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. <laughs> I ran long uh, as usual. So I, I, uh, we will have to get to uh, Trump uh, declaring war on the GOP another day. <laughs> Who he knows sa- if it'll says, still be that way uh, by tomorrow. Oh, it will. <laughs> uh, he says the shackles are off. You mean they've been on up until now? Really? Uh, but this time, we, you know, we talked about GOP civil war for a long time. This time, boy, it really seems to be happening. That said, we don't have time to get into detail, so we'll just uh, end with a couple of uh, John Oliver two weeks ago on HBO's, not real time, what's it called? Uh, last week tonight uh, had, uh, well, it was two clips from John. Uh, here first, uh, what he said about two weeks ago about election 2016. Just, just. Do me a favor, look up into the sky right now. Higher, no, higher still. Do you see that? Way up there, way up above the clouds. That's rock bottom. (laughs) And we are currently way down here. Yes. Not that it makes it any better. Right on the money. That was two weeks ago. And then the uh, the uh, Access Hollywood tape came out of Donald Trump, his hot mic tape. Uh, and then uh, John Oliver followed it up this weekend with this. Yes, that is audio of Donald Trump in 2005 telling a giggling Billy Bush that one of the perks of fame is that he can grab women's genitalia without permission. And, and let me just remind you that last Sunday I told you if you looked above the clouds you would see rock bottom. But, but, but if you look up there now, just way, way, way up there, all the way up high, you will see right up in the distance where we were this time last week. <laughs> because since then, we have sunk so low, we are breaking through the Earth's crust where drowning in boiling magma will come as sweet, sweet relief. We'll be back with more Boiling Magma tomorrow on the broadcast. Until then, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, uh, to my guest today, David Atkins of Washington Monthly, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it for free, as ever, at bradblog.com, or you can subscribe, have it sent to you automatically via iTunes or your favorite podcast site. When you stop by any of those uh, sites, Uh, Leave a comment, a review, say something nice about us, makes it a little easier for everyone else to find us, or say something not so nice about us if you don't want anybody to find us. (laughs) That's fine, too. You can drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com, and you can find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at TheBradBlog. Until we hit rock bottom again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. (laughs) 